This is Toronto, and today we're going to revisit CKLN, CKLN 88.1 FM, a well-known campus community station broadcasting from Ryerson University. It's been around for almost 30 years. Now just to recap, the CRTC revoked CKLN's license due to a number of issues such as infighting and allegedly not providing proper documentation. A federal court ruling granted the station a stay so it was allowed to remain on the air while staff prepared to appeal the decision. They first needed permission to appeal and then would proceed to the appeal process. A few weeks ago the federal court denied CKLN permission. In turn the station ceased broadcasting on the 88.1 frequency but they're still broadcasting online which is allowed. Now you'll certainly remember Lauren Spears and Joita Gupta. I spoke to them back in February both are CKLN programmers and involved with the station's operation. Lauren is a member of CKLN's legal team. Joita is a member of the CKLN board. In this episode, you'll hear from Lauren regarding the legal aspects. Next episode, we'll hear from Joita regarding the station's current structure. But for now, here's my conversation with Lauren Spears. Lauren, welcome back to the show. Uh, thanks for having me again on your show. I'm glad that you are still interested in more community radio, not less, <laughs> on our radio spectrum here in Toronto. Yes, indeed. And, and the last time we spoke, the legal team was preparing to ask the federal court for permission to appeal the CRTC decision. That uh, that was declined. What exactly happened there? Uh, what happened was that we compiled uh, what's called in legalese a motion record which means that um, we submitted all of the same documents from the stay. We amended our motions just slightly, um, i.e., uh, instead of asking for an immediate stay of execution, we asked for an interim stay and an interlocutory stay, which meant that should we be successful in a leave application, that we would, um, that we would be able to uh, broadcast uh, until the hearing itself, when that hearing would have happened, because both the decision for the interim stay that we got and the decision for the leave would have been precursors to a public hearing. The, those two judicial considerations happened in private. Mm -hmm. So we amended our motion to make it more long-term, um, and we uh, gave them legal arguments um, based on the doctrine of legitimate expectations, which is a procedural fairness argument. I think I remember in the last interview telling you that um, administrative decision-making can, um, can really, uh, they don't focus on the facts of the, the matter, they focus on how the decision was made. So in order to prove that the decision should have gone otherwise, we had to prove that the CRTC had made either an error in law or in jurisdiction. And the error of law that we were saying that they had made was that they had not, um, they had not uh, adhered to the principle of graduated punishment that is within um, their own policy. Um, and also there is this uh, over overarching idea from Section 3.1 of the Broadcasting Act that says that not only are the airways public, but that the CRTC is committed to maintaining balanced representation between the three sectors, being commercial, community, and national, which is the CDC. Mm -hmm. right? And what they're effectively doing by making a decision um, like what they did with CKLN is saying it is okay to go from nothing being wrong to the most ultimate punitive measure, which is revocation. 
without adhering to what's contained in their own circular 444. This is basically the idea of graduated discipline. First warnings, then mandatory orders, then suspension, then revocation. So the doctrine of legitimate expectation, um, which is a procedural fairness argument, which makes it a question of law, says that everybody else thought that we would be getting mandatory orders or warnings. We didn't really think that they would go to the ultimate measure before um, letting us uh, at least have the same chances that they give mainly to commercial broadcasters to clean up their act before a license gets gets revoked. Mandatory orders or suspension would have given us the facility to clean up our act. And the thing that we were trying to prove to them within the application is that we have already started to clean up the act that was, uh, or the acts of the old boards, which led to the lockout and the periods of non-compliance. And they felt that wasn't good enough? Um, the reasons for the decision, I can email them to you, is that they're actually, like from a law student's perspective, which is what I am, so I haven't been able to actually advise anybody on them. I can only tell people what my opinion of the reasons are. So I can parrot them what the lawyer said, which is that the one paragraph of the eight-paragraph quote-unquote decision that actually spoke to the reason for the decision said that CKLN alleged, the CKLN um, <clears throat> brings up grounds that would be uh, enough to overturn the decision, but uh, they do not know, based on our motion record, what those grounds would be. And our lawyer's comments on that was that that is both cryptic and circular. It's like a circle, right? <laughs> They're saying, yeah, if you, if you had these things, then it would be, but we don't know if you have those things. Well, could you ask them to clarify it? Um, well, I mean, the, everything that I just said was to clarifying it, and I guess I'm talking too much like a lawyer. But the, 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 the idea that the COTC didn't follow their own procedural mandate should have been enough. Um, they had never in their history, right, because the way our legal system works, whether we're talking about admin law, broad, and of which broadcasting is a part, immigration, blah, 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 all of those um, say that you have to follow a process. And the COTC has only once in their, in their history since 1982 done what they did with us, which was go from zero to 60 and revoke a license. And in the other case where they did that, the station had been off the air for six months and people didn't even show up to the hearing, right? So there have been umpteen broadcasters who have done way worse things than what CKLN in its lockout period did, and they didn't take similar measures with them. Right? So our argument was that if they really are committed to um, a balanced spectrum, that they should look to the nature of community radio before judging us more punitively than they would judge a commercial station, right? which is that community radio is driven by volunteers. There is a very, very small staff at most community or campus community radio stations, whereas commercial radio has hundreds of people on staff to do things like make sure that regulatory obligations are satisfied. One of the items of non-compliance with us was that we had not submitted annual financial returns. Um, the board that preceded the board who was in front of the CITC did not have any annual financial returns for the prior three years. So the board basically had to make those as well as doing the year that they were doing. So we had four years of annual financial returns that we gave to the commission that were made at great cost and effort, but nobody in CKLN's 28 year history had read section, I think it's 9.4 of the Broadcasting Act, which says that the annual financial returns have to be 
dated the end of August. So we gave them four years of financial returns, but they were dated with CPLN fiscal year end, which is not the end of August. So in trying to give the CRTC what they wanted, we had to change our financial year end, which shouldn't be a big deal, but it cost a lot of money with accountants, but we did it. Right? So what, we, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that we were trying to address their concerns one by one. And as Commissioner Poirier said in her dissent, given a little bit of time, CCLN could have brought itself into compliance. Uh, forgive me for saying this and for stating the obvious, but it sounds like, um, I mean, you as someone who's been involved with the station for a very long time, uh, I mean, this, sound, this came as quite a shock. Uh, it came as a complete shock because really everybody thought that everybody thought that CKLN's main mistakes had been made by uh, a board that was not representative of the membership, and the lockout period when none of us could get in was seen as the, the, the CKLN's main downfall with the CRTC. So when the new board, who's been trying really hard, and all of the uh, people who spoke positively about CKLN at the hearing were there, the message that we were trying to get across is we are trying to pull up our socks, right? The, the socks that were let go by the old board are being put back on and they're being put back on better than they've ever been. So we were uh, expecting to get some punitive action because nobody's saying that the, the bad stuff around the lockout period didn't happen. We're just try we have just been trying to fix it mm -hmm. and we thought that those efforts would have been recognized by the CRTC instead of punished. Okay, so as a member of the legal team, uh, what is the next course of action? Um, the next course of action is to be determined by both the board and the membership. The, the board and the membership um, have made decisions that what we are going to do is we are going to proceed in three ways. First, we are going to, in the interim period, between now and any reapplication, we are going to focus on CKRN as an internet station and make our supporters know that we are still here as CKLN. The second part of the of, 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 of the process is going to involve reapplication to the CITC for the 88.1 frequency, either as CKLN. Uh, with a new with a new executive that is stu that that are mostly students, or a, a new entity that is in, that are, that that is Ryerson based. The third area is public policy proceeding that we are hoping that the NCRA, the National Community Radio Association, will spearhead to reserve the frequency of 88.1 for community radio. Our basic touchstone is even if you don't give it to CKRN. Give it to a community station because there's already quite a few, um, in fact, a vast majority of for-profit voices on the radio, which means that, um, like with the broadcast spectrum in general, um, what people hear when they turn on their radio, kind of like what people see when they turn on their TV, is programming that is driven by money and corporate advertising interests. So what we're hoping is that um, the public will support that notion to reserve the frequency. Uh, and if the reapplication by CKLN is not successful, hopefully what will be successful is the reapplication by Ryerson. All right, Lauren. Well, thank you very much for your time, and, and uh, we'll definitely keep in touch and, and keep track of what's going on. Thank you so much for, as I said before, your, your continued interest in, in community radio. Lauren Spears is a CKLN programmer. 
She's also a member of the station's legal team. For more information, please visit www.ckln.fm. That's ckln.fm. Again, next episode we'll hear from Joita Gupta, who'll talk about the station's current structure. That episode will be released on May 20th. That's all for this episode of This is Toronto. Questions and comments can be sent by email. The address is This is Toronto Podcast at yahoo.ca. You can also post a comment on the website, this is Toronto Podcast.blogspot.com. And don't forget about This is Toronto's Facebook fad page. I'm Eric Rosenheck. Thanks for listening.